Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And we have a special guest for you today. It's former Browns left tackle and future Hall of Famer, Joe Thomas. Mary Kay Cabot and I talked to Joe for about 25 or 30 minutes on Thursday. And we get into everything about Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson. We get into a couple of Browns offensive linemen to get Joe's thoughts on Joel Batonio and Jedrick Wills. And then we asked Joe about the Hall of Fame. Is he ready? Because it is almost time for him to be eligible for the Hall of Fame. He is eligible for this next class. So uh, I can't believe it's been five years as I tell him on the podcast, but uh, here we are. So that's coming up here on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Now, this is where I tell you about becoming a football insider subscriber. Go to Cleveland.com slash Browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. Uh, exclusive newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. Uh, you get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns, and you can become one of our text subscribers. So do it. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a quick break, and then it's almost 30 minutes uninterrupted of Joe Thomas. Now we are happy to have on future Hall of Famer, former Browns left tackle Joe Thomas on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Joe, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for being here, Joe. Absolutely. Uh, well, the, the inspiration for this podcast today is Joe and I went back and forth a little bit over the, uh, over the Baker Mayfield situation over the past week in which uh, Joe had referred back to a report uh, by ESPN's Dan Graziano about how Baker Mayfield uh, had supposedly kind of turned down an offer in the 30 millions. I went and talked to, um, you know, all parties involved about this and basically was told that, you know, Baker Mayfield actually did not receive an offer per se. So anyways, we're, we're going to kind of pick it up from there. Mm-hmm. Joe, how, how did that um, play out? I know you ended up hearing from Baker. He was maybe a little bit upset about mm-hmm. what he thought was a report. So tell us, tell us how that went. Yeah, well, I think uh, it was interesting because me and Hawk did my podcast and then I split. I got out of the country. I went to Ireland. Actually, young Alex Mack of uh, Cleveland Browns and Atlanta Falcons, San Francisco 49ers fame, married a gal in Dublin. And the wedding was supposed to be in 2020, March, right before the world shut down with COVID. So uh, it got rescheduled three times. And thankfully, my wife and I ended up finally getting to go. Um, but so we were in, we were in Ireland the whole time and Hawk and I made a podcast right before we left. We talked about the Baker Mayfield situation and, uh, what was on my mind was like, 
what led to the Browns going back to Deshaun Watson after they were eliminated and basically giving him everything he wanted in order to seal the deal. And uh, in my mind, it was what Baker did when he realized that they were trying to sign Deshaun Watson initially, and that was demanding a trade and saying that he wasn't going to show up for anything and basically backing the Browns against the wall. And so um, we were talking within that context of, Hey, you know, if Baker wouldn't have done those things, would he have been in a good negotiation leverage position to be able to have them come back buy him that nice, I'm sorry, I promise ring for another couple of years, maybe sweeten his contract, let him be the quarterback for a couple more years. Because at that point, the Browns didn't really have any answers at the quarterback position. We know that the front office believes this is a win now team that's built really well, not only with the skill players and the offensive line and the run game, but a defense that played really, really well down the stretch last season. So they feel like now is their opportunity. And for whatever happened, the discussion was about, you know, why Baker decided to demand a trade. And then in my opinion, that forced the Browns to go back at Deshaun Watson. And the beginning of the conversation was a discussion about, um, the Dan Graziano report from October about Baker Mayfield, or excuse me, the Browns being willing to offer Baker Mayfield 30 to 35 million a year on a long-term extension. And I think this was shortly after Josh Allen had gotten his extension. Um, and I think the context of what we were talking about, me and Hawk, in my own mind as a player who has gone through signing an extension before your contract is up and understanding the process of when the two sides initially start negotiating, which I don't think Baker's side or the Browns are arguing that there was talks that were happening between Baker's agent and the Browns. And it was the high level. It was the icebreaker, get to know you at the bar on a, a blind date. Like, what are we thinking here? How many, if we were potentially going to extend you, how many years would you want to do? What type of guaranteed money are we talking about? And then based on my own experience, being an offensive lineman that signed an extension before my deal was up, then you start making comparables. You say, well, okay, like in my instance, it was Jonathan Ogden, you know, five, six years before me signed this an ex as an extension. This was the um, structure of his deal. This is how long it was. This is the average per year. This is how much percent was guaranteed. And then once you get close, which is different than when you're a free agent for, per se, when you're a free agent, you get offers on the table. It's like when you put your house up for sale, uh, Andrew Hawkins would tell you this. He was, he was sort of a free agent, but you get all these teams that will write you offers and you turn some down and maybe you go back with counter offers. It's much more like buying a house, but there's much more art to signing an extension because really there's not technically an offer on the table until both sides have basically come to an agreement because up until that point, you're just talking and there's no deadline. And so when Baker's um, group was talking with Andrew Berry and company, Baker's group was talking Josh Allen, which they should have been right. Because Baker would have been that next quarterback in that same generation that is going to be the long-term franchise guy. And as we've seen the salary cap rise, we've seen the next guy that signs the extension make a little bit more than the guy before him. So it's not a surprise that before he became a free agent, that Baker's team would want Josh Allen's money, but the Browns were floating something more like 30 million a year, which would be uh, very player friendly. And I think they were trying to sell Baker's team on, Hey, if we offer you this deal, yeah, it's, it's tough for the agent, right? Because the agents recruit their next crop of quarterbacks and players based on the contracts that they signed before. And so 
the next group of quarterback and the agents that are following those quarterbacks are going to say, don't go with Baker's guy. He got him 70% less than Josh Allen. And we would have been able to get him more than that. So there's this, this constant push and pull in this battle between the agents who want to push the market for their own players, but they also don't want to get hammered or perceivably hammered by taking a player friendly deal because they know that the other agents are going to use that to recruit against them. Long winded answer to talk (laughs) the point of, it became a discussion of semantics. Baker is absolutely true from the people that I talked to in Cleveland. And even after talking to Dan Graziano to see if he still stood by his report, there was no offer on the table as far as, hey, Browns, you know, this is our 30 million a year offer. These are the terms. We've written it up like it's a offer to buy your house. Absolutely not. But the point still remains that had Baker's side been interested in that 30 to 35 million a year. And when they were talking, the structure of those contracts that they were talking about were close. They may have been able to hammer out a deal before the end of last season, but because they were so far off and they didn't have any deadline on the horizon, the negotiations just kind of fizzled a little bit. Joe, I think that's the way to do it though, is to say something and then just get out of the country for a week. That's right. <laughs> you drop the bomb and then you fly away without looking back. That's but no, it was funny. It was like uh, two days or so maybe after Alex's wedding. And if you've ever been to an Irish wedding, it's three days you don't remember. And uh, I woke up and I got a text from a number I didn't recognize. And it was very cryptic. Like, I don't appreciate what you said because none of it has any truth to it. I'm like, who is this? I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have this number saved in my phone. And we ended up figuring out it was Baker and he, uh, he denied it, which like I said, I believe him. There was no offer that was like written in paper given to him where he could decide yes or no, because the sides had just started negotiating and they were very far off. So of course it would be so disrespectful if the team wrote up an offer after the agent already said, Hey, you're 15 million off per season. So let, let's shift gears then to Deshaun Watson. And I'm just curious what your reaction was as that played out and when. I mean, it kind of took all of us by surprise when we saw, oh, he's waving his no trade clause and he's chosen the Browns. Because uh, look, we all assumed they were out of it at that point. Yeah. I mean, I was as shocked as anybody. I think I was under the impression that the Browns were happy to give Baker Mayfield one healthy season to kind of be that season to prove is he the guy or is he not the guy? Because we've seen a high standard deviation during Baker's career. And that's why I think he's become maybe the most polarizing player that we've ever seen because he's got these great, unbelievable moments where he is fantastic under pressure. He makes the tough throws. The team is behind him. He shows that grittiness, that guttiness that we saw from college. He's got a little bit of that swag, that cockiness that when he's on your team, just like Jack Parkman from Major League Two, you love it. You love to see it, right? And it makes the other teams hate it. And so I think he was a guy that was very beloved. But on the flip side, he has had a lot of low moments where guys were wide open. The game was on the line and he was either afraid to throw it because he didn't have trust in his arm or he made a bad decision and he threw it into double coverage and it became an interception. And I think rightfully so, the narrative is this team is built for success right now. These guys, uh, this is the best collection of players the Browns team has had since they've come back by far. And so figuring out the quarterback position, getting consistent play from that position is absolutely imperative, especially when you look at the face of the AFC with the number of young stud quarterbacks that the AFC has. um, And now adding Russell Wilson in there too. Like you have to have terrific quarterback play to expect to have any chance to make the Super Bowl. And I think the Browns realize that. 
And there's still a large segment of the fan base that are saying, hey, that could still be Baker. We don't know what we have because of all the turmoil he had during his career and because of the injury from last year. Yeah, he played bad. I'm sure he'll even admit it. But was it because of the shoulder or was it because of something else? Joe, would you say that uh, what impact did it have on you when Baker did come out and ask to be traded? Were you dismayed by that? And what impact does that have on a locker room, which we had already been hearing rumblings that uh, some players may not have been overly thrilled with him sitting out the season finale and then the uh, strain of the OBJ thing. So when a player comes out and does that, uh, you know, what ripple effect does it have on the locker room? And what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, the whole Baker Mayfield enigma is so strange to me because I, I didn't really have a relationship with him. I tried my best to reach out to him. And as a guy who was there for a long time, I always took it upon myself to be the guy that when a new free agent came in, I would try to introduce my wife. Hey, you know, you got kids. What type of school do you need to go to? Like, here's the restaurants we love to go to. You know, here's a park. Here's a great place you can go for a babysitter. Like all those things that I think when people move into a city, they have those questions. I was, my wife and I were the, the people that wanted to bring the team together and try to make the transition as easy as possible. So I tried to reach out to Baker and, and be that resource for him. And, you know, for whatever reason, I never got a response. And I, I, I listened to you, Mary Kay, a little while ago, kind of with a little bit of the same dismay of like, you know, as the starting quarterback for the Browns, the franchise quarterback, we expected maybe a little bit more of a re relationship that wasn't there. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. And um, in the end, it doesn't matter if you win football games. Um, but I, I think with with Baker. I'm sorry. What was, what was the first part of that? I forgot. Well, you know, just the fact that he has to be traded. I yes, think the trade. Of course, you were a little dismayed by that. I think. yes, absolutely. So, I, I kind of always felt like I knew who Baker was, right? Especially after the Duke Johnson stuff and Hugh Jackson stuff. He was like, "I'm a Cleveland Brown. You either ride or die with us. I don't care about the business side of stuff," which is going to rub a lot of people the wrong way because you know, especially if you're the quarterback and you're going to be making 20 million a year, or if you're on your second deal and you're making 40 million a year, it's easy to say it's not about the business and I, I'm not worried about my contract because you already got hundred million in the bank, but you know what? There's a lot of players on number 20 through 53 that may not have anything in the bank because they're rookies and they're playing them on a minimum salary. And so it is important for them to try to like, help their families and help their, their kids and their futures. So there is a business side of football, no matter if you like it or not. Um, but after, especially when he talked about the Duke Johnson, like you're either on this train or you're not, it really seemed like he was the last guy on earth who would get mad at the team and just decide I'm, I'm going to demand to be traded because that just wasn't, wasn't part of the brand that we were led to believe was Baker. Now, obviously a lot of things have happened since then. Um, and he felt very disrespected, but I was really hoping that one Baker was going to be the quarterback next season. And he was going to get one more opportunity to prove that he could, or he couldn't do it because I felt like he deserved that. But two, this was a perfect opportunity for him to prove his biggest doubters wrong. And his biggest doubters say that his immaturity shows up off the field. It shows up on the field with decision-making and it's holding him back from progressing into a great quarterback. Cause he has the skill set to do that. So I'm thinking to myself, wow, what a perfect opportunity to put all the doubters down 
and prove once and for all to everybody your maturity level, how much you've grown since you were a rookie, that even though the Browns kind of stiffed you, and yeah, they told you that they were going to maybe look for an upgrade at quarterback if it was available, but Andrew Barry even came out and said, I should have told them we were going to go and actually interview Deshaun in person. He didn't do that. So rightfully so, Baker felt a little bit disrespected. Like, hey, I thought I was your guy, but he had that great opportunity to be a bigger man and say, I understand things happen, business is business, but now it's your turn to recommit to me, whatever that looks like, whether that be contract, whether that be, Hey, we're not going to do that again uh, this season. So, you know, maybe guarantee a a one-year extension for him, um, add some players around him, whatever his needs are. Like that was their opportunity to say, I'm sorry. And then have this kiss and makeup moment where the Browns and Baker had never been more aligned before. And I felt like he took the low road. Like he took the, I'm not going to talk to you. I just want to be traded. And then to think that he could just demand, I'm going to be traded to the Colts was, it was a little bit off-putting to me because I thought your self-perception of how you're viewed across the league is probably not in alignment with how everybody else sees you and your performance, especially coming off a year, which you played poorly and you got a hurt shoulder And there's another guy that's available named Jimmy Garoppolo, who's played better than you and who's also coming off the same surgery, but hasn't had some of the off-field prickliness issues that seem to always surround Baker. So, Joe, one of the things that I like when you and Andrew talk is when you kind of let people behind the scenes in the locker room. And I wanted to ask you, uh, with Deshaun, obviously we know about the 22 civil suits. I mean, all the players in the locker room know that stuff. What what is it like in a locker room when – a player with something like that going on comes in. Is it, is it just about football? Do players think about that? How, how does, how does that kind of work? I'd say it's mostly about football. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of players, coaches, owners in the NFL that have skeletons in their closet that are coming with less than a clean slate when they come to your team. Um, but for the most part, when you're in that locker room, players, coaches, administrators, like, Everybody has a common goal, and that goal is to win a Super Bowl. And you sort of see most people in that locker room through the lens of, are you a good teammate, and how are you helping us win or not win? And unfortunately, for the most part, that's sort of how you see your teammates. Like, are you a net positive for this team, or are you a net negative? Um, Now, sometimes there are extenuating circumstances. Obviously, the Deshaun Watson 22 allegations of sexual misconduct falls under that umbrella where I guarantee there's going to be some people in that locker room that are going to be uneasy, especially early on before they get a chance to know the player uh, about however that stuff unfolds. And that history, certainly when Deshaun gets on the field in training camp and at games, there's, there's going to be people protesting. There's going to be people out there in the players' faces that they're going to have to deal with and be reminded of it on a daily basis. Um, so will there be a touch of resentment there, especially early on? I'm sure there will be like, this is a difficult situation for everybody associated with the Browns, me, you two, like we are being paid to talk about this. This is our job. This is what we do. And it's probably the most difficult situation that I've ever faced as a player. And I've been through a lot of losing and a lot of drama, but this certainly takes the cake because even at this point in the game, we don't really know how it's going to end or how we're supposed to feel about things because, I mean, I've been a loyal Browns fan since I got here. I'm even more of a Browns fan since I stopped playing and I'm raising my kids like that. And I'm, I'm so committed to the team. 
but this just makes you take such a big pause. And the only way I can sort of um, put it into context in my brain is just to take a wait and see approach. Like I want to see how things end up because I mentioned it earlier before, like Andrew Barry, Paul DePodesta, Kevin Stefanski, like these guys are, have upstanding moral character and ethics. And I feel like they know way more about this situation than, than we do. Cause they were, they're talking with Deshaun. They've talked to the attorneys. They know, they know the grand jury investigation. They've talked with the NFL who's been investigating this forever. So they've got way more information than we do. And for them to feel comfortable, not saying that all those 22 allegations are going to disappear, but it seems like they feel comfortable with whatever the punishment that comes down and whatever the remorse that Deshaun feels about everything and how the situation become resolved. They were obviously comfortable enough to give him the biggest contract in NFL history and bring him into Cleveland in spite of all those things. Yeah. So that was one of the things that I did want to ask you about if you were willing to share uh, how you felt about uh, Deshaun Watson being now the face of the Cleveland Browns from the quarterback position. Do you, mm-hmm. uh, so it sounds like you're planning on taking just that wait and see approach yeah. and that you're not ready to condemn the move at this point. I mean, do you sort of feel like uh, a person is innocent until proven guilty or is that too simplistic for this complex? I mean, topic? it's hard. I, I think you have two buckets with Deshaun, right? You have the player on the field. Um, you have what his reputation was off the field. Um, and as a teammate before all this, which was sterling and sparkling, and obviously this is um, tremendously uh, hurtful and uh, damaging allegations against him from not just one person, multiple women. So clearly the off the field issue that he's dealing with coming in makes you very nervous, especially being the quarterback who's traditionally always been the face of the franchise. And it's easy for me to get excited about who he is as a quarterback because he is a top five quarterback and the Browns are a Super Bowl contender, no doubt with him in that role, but still trying to level with yourself in your own mind about those allegations is difficult. And um, personally, like just not even talking about Deshaun Watson and his situation, I believe in second chances. I believe in people that are remorseful and that accept their punishment for their crimes should not be shunned from society forever. There should be a path back. Um, And I also feel that the criminal justice system, the civil justice system is in place. And we've all, because we're Americans agreed to live under those rules. um, And we have to allow those rules and um, that process to be played out before we really should be able to make a judgment on somebody because we don't have all the information, even though we feel like we have a lot or we have enough to be able to think that we know what's going on. I just still always think it's better. Just like if you see something crazy on Facebook or, or Twitter, just take a second because it might not be exactly how it seems at the beginning. Just take some time. Don't allow your emotions to become hyperbolic in one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. So, Joe, I want to ask you about, uh, you know, Mary Kay and I each have a couple other players we want to ask you about. And the guy I wanted to bring up is someone you got to know very well, Joel Batonio. Of course, you mm-hmm. played right next to him from the minute he came into the league. Just got a big extension uh, this last season. I believe he's still the highest paid guard in football uh, by yearly average. So mm-hmm. when did you know Joel was something special? When did you kind of see that in him? Was it right away or, or was it kind of down the road a little bit? So right away with Joel, you saw something in him mentally that, 
you could tell it was very important to him. You know, I, I always make the comparison to if you've ever owned like a Labrador retriever, like that dog will do anything to make you happy. Like it's willing to chase that stick until it literally keels over and dies. And you want that type of a mentality from young offensive linemen. And Joel had that right away. Like he wanted to please the coach. He wanted to please the other players. He was so eager to learn that you knew the only thing that would hold him back was any physical limitations. And you could see right away when he hit the field, he was a tremendous athlete. He was powerful. He was explosive. Um, he could move side to side with quickness. His only limitation was he was a little stiff in the ankles. He had a hard time bending. And so I knew he was going to be a good player. Did I know he was going to be a perennial all pro, maybe a hall of fame type at that time? No, because I wondered to myself, like, will this guy with these super tight ankles be able to adapt a technique that fits for him without being able to get better with the ankle mobility. And early on in his career, he had a few ankle injuries. And I think that probably was because of the immobility that he has in his lower body. Um, but he's learned to play with it and he's learned a technique that works really well for him. And now he's the best guard in football and he's been an all pro for a number of seasons. And I'm, I'm hoping to see him all of fame some year. Oh, that's awesome. That'd be great for you guys to be in there. Uh, together, of course. Um, another player I wanted to ask you about is Jed Wills. Obviously, you were so high on him mm -hmm. uh, coming out in the draft. And then last year wasn't the year he wanted to have or the mm -hmm. Browns wanted him to have. So where do you think things stand with Jed? What do you think of his year? And what's the outlook? Yeah, he's been up and down. The inconsistency has been the thing that's held him back. And this is what I, I tell him when I see him like, you got to think of the offensive line position, like your uh, secret service bodyguard. Like you have to be right a hundred percent of the time, every time you wake up and walk onto that practice field, because being right 99 out of a hundred, and maybe those 99 were the best 99 clips we've ever seen from a tackle. You pick the guy up and you smashed him on his head and the running back ran right up your butt for a touchdown. Nobody's going to care if snap 100, you go the wrong way or you take a bad step and the guy spins right through your gap and slices the quarterback in half. And now they're carrying that guy off two pieces on a stretcher. Like that's what they remember about your position. So your position is about don't do the bad stuff. The good stuff is great, but don't mess up. And so for him, I think just understanding the level of focus going into a game, going into a practice, going into a walkthrough that it takes to be able to improve your consistency. I think about Phil Dawson, the great kicker for the Browns that I played with and how obsessed he was with the minutia of everything he did to prepare for a kick that allowed him to be consistent. It's just like a golfer. Now it's master's weekend. Like the way that they look at all the tiny little things as they're preparing to hit the ball, those are the important things that allow them to hit the ball consistently every time. And that's the mentality that you have to have as an offensive lineman. And I'm very confident that he has it in him and that Bill Callahan will get it out of him in the future because he shows all of the talent of an all pro tackle. It's just about reducing the negative plays. All right, Joe, my last question. I'm uh, not sure if Mary Kay has another one, but I want to ask you, I can't believe it's been this long already, but we're coming up on it. You're going to be eligible for the hall of fame. Have, have you let yourself think about that at all? Uh, I have because my good friend, Steve Smith, who works for me or works with me on Thursday night football uh, on the pregame show was eligible for the first time this year. And so I was watching and I think he was a semifinalist um, and I was really interested because I was pulling for him. And then right after he didn't make it, they were talking about people who are going to be eligible for the first time next year. I saw my name and I went, 
holy smokes. And I, I looked, I'm like, sure as shit. I'm five years removed from playing and I'm going to be potentially, or I'll be on the ballot next fall. I think that's when they start voting. Uh, I think Mary Kay's a, or MK's a voter, mm-hmm. but it really, it snuck up on me. And I, I think that's a good thing. Like, I think the guys that struggle in retirement, the days grind by, but for somebody like me who is still close to the game, gets an opportunity to be part of Thursday night football and Browns football and, you know, the, the league as a whole, it's made these five years fly by. Oh, and having four babies under seven or eight years old, that, that helps too, but it, it really has gone fast. Yeah. You know what, Joe, it's so funny because when you did retire, I was thinking, wow, far, 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 far down the road, I'm going to have an opportunity and the honor to sit in that room and vote you into the hall of fame and how honored and excited I was about that. And I can't believe that it's here already. I mean, I honestly, I, that, where did that go? When, oh. when I was reminded this past, uh, selection meeting that you were up next i was like wait a minute yeah. wasn't that just like two years ago i know it, it's crazy and for me too i don't think it feels real because there's so many guys that i was playing with that are still out there i mean freaking tom brady is what 47 years old he retired then unretired 40 days later like jesus fasting in the desert and all of a sudden <laughs> i got a guy who was in the league way before me that's still playing like watching uh Dwayne Brown who was a tackle I played in Pro Bowls with like still playing last year watching Trent Williams play great football for the 49ers Alex Mack like um it doesn't feel like I've been gone that long but then I do stand on the field and I watch these guys like man this game's a lot faster than it was when I was (laughs) playing it's amazing how much that game progresses every single year yeah, one last thing, because I know you have to go, um, and that is obviously huge for, for Doug Deacon, uh, mm. you know, to retire this year. And I know what he has meant to you uh, yeah. and, and just how instrumental he was. Um, but just wondering, I mean, do you ever think about or is that a possibility that you would ever replace him in the booth? Yeah, I talked to Doug. I talked to people in Cleveland and I said that would be my dream job. Um, unfortunately, it happens 20 weekends a year in a row. And with little kids, that's kind of the time you get to see them because they go to school during the week. And so I, I know that I would never be able to commit to a full schedule right now when my kids are young. Um, but it is absolutely the most iconic color job in football, in my opinion. And I remember when I was a kid listening to Max McGee and Jim Irwin, when the Packers were going to the Super Bowl, and the calls from those guys still ring in my head like it was just yesterday I heard it. And like the association with your radio broadcast and the greatness that happens on the field is ironclad. And so for me to be in retirement, to still have some relationship with the team and the fans and to be involved in those big moments would be so special. So I'm holding out hope that they'll be able to carve out like the gopher hot dog guy for me in the booth somewhere, like where I could maybe show up for a few games make sure everybody's condiments are good on their hot dogs, maybe get them some mission barbecue and uh, maybe <laughs> throw my two cents in every now and then. Um, but it, it remains to be seen, but nonetheless, that job is, uh, is sparkling for whoever gets the opportunity because obviously the role by itself, but then being able to work with Jim Donovan, the best play-by-play guy um, in all of football would be special as well. No, wow, I was curious. I, oh, I was curious. I had to look it up. Tom Brady turned 30 the year that you came into the league. <laughs> he, was, he was an old man already. <laughs> and somehow he is still going. Uh, Joe, before we let you go, where can we find you? 
Uh, you can find me at Twitter at Joe Thomas 73. I do a podcast mostly during the season, but we hit a few during the off season called the Tom and Hawk football show on Amazon music or wherever you get your podcasts. I also work for NFL network, so you can find me occasionally on total access. Um, but my next big gig is going to be at the draft with um, NFL network. We're covering live from Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> it should, should be a very fun draft there Absolutely. Uh, in Las Vegas. Joe, it's always great to see you. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Joe. All right, our thanks to Joe Thomas for joining us on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It was a lot of fun to see Joe again. And like I said, the guy's right there. He's going to be eligible for the first time for the Hall of Fame this fall. A sneaking suspicion he's not going to have to wait very long uh, to get inducted into Canton. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us five-star reviews, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. So for Mary Kay Cabot, I'm Dan Lobby. Thanks for listening, everybody.